the prophecy isn't a prediction of the future. It's a call to action in the present. Welcome back to Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Every week, we bring you into the halls of Yale Divinity School to overhear two of our faculty chatting about a biblical text. We ask them to share their impressions on one of the revised common lectionary readings for the coming Sunday, and hopefully that will spark some insight for your preaching, teaching, or reading this week. I'm your host, Helena Martin. I'm a student here at Yale Divinity School, and I'm also a priest in the Episcopal Church. This episode, we have Sarah Drummond, founding dean of Andover Newton Seminary at Yale, and Joel Baden, professor of Hebrew Bible and director of the Center for Continuing Education. They're discussing Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, which is appointed for Sunday, December 12th, the third Sunday in Advent. Here's the text. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you home, at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Joel, one question that I had as I looked at the text from Zephaniah that is sounding like some kind of inauguration or celebration of a leader is whom is this song celebrating? Is there some kind of future moment that uh, Zephaniah's people or Zephaniah's listeners are waiting for? So I I don't hear it as being about any person or even like real real time in in particular the context here you're right it looks like this super rejoicey kind of text like it's going to be awesome all of the people who are oppressed are going to be unoppressed right like whatever the, whatever the opposite of oppressed is raised up but in fact right we have to recognize that the the context that this speech is coming in this is this isn't the beginning of a thing this is the this is the second half of a speech that began with Zephaniah being like oh, you're all in real trouble. Like, you're all evil and terrible and your whole, like, uh, you know, your your whole world is about to come to an end. I'm going to destroy everything. Everything about you is is problematic. And when I'm done, right, when I'm done, and, and you know, in, the, in this this text, Zephaniah here reads a lot to, to my eye, like Isaiah, who does this a ton. When I'm done, I've gotten rid of, like, I've eliminated all of the evil from your midst. 
the few of you who are left, right? And, and who are the few who are going to be left after God has gotten rid of all of the real troublemakers? It's, it's the lowly, right? The, the lowly people who, who didn't do anything wrong, right? They're, they're the oppressed people in their own society. They're going to be the ones who are now lifted up into, uh, you know, to live in this eschatological, right? it's definitely not thinking about some, I don't even think it's thinking about there ever even being a king. The only king here is going to be God, right? It's going to be God is going to be the king and all of the people who were lowly are now going to be happy, isn't it an amazingly Western assumption on my part that if there's redemption, there has to be a redeemer. If there is some sort of new earth, somebody must have made it come to pass. Never occurred to me it could have just been God. Right. I mean, it should have, though, right? Like, we, like it should have occurred to you that God would be the redeemer, probably. I, um, I think that, that you might be onto something. <laughs> but right. No, but, but you're right. I mean, there is obviously... You know, there's so much of the Bible and so certainly so much of tradition has that accomplished by means of an agent, right? Whether it's a, a human kingly agent or a human messianic agent, there's no agent here, right? This is, um, I don't even think in this text you've, you've even got like the notion of God using the foreign nation as his like vehicle of destruction. I mean, it's probably in, in, in the context, but it's not said explicitly here. Right, this is just God is bringing bringing the punishment for the evil, and then God is 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 lifting up uh, the people who are left. Well, I find it really helpful to be reminded that this section of the text on which we're focusing is right on the heels of God telling the people, "I'm about to blow you all away. I'm about to just wipe you out." And I'm thinking about in kind of contemporary moments where there is that need to tack on the um, the oration of hope, the oration of, and then everything is going to be better. I do think that one of the wet blankets that's hanging over our society right now, and when I say right now, I'm thinking about, um, about the era of um, post-COVID, is that we're we're being asked to make so many sacrifices, but we don't know what we're doing it for. We don't have that image of hopefulness. And I actually think that this text might play that that role when you couple it with the death and destruction that people need to feel like, I'm shooting for something here. I'm making these sacrifices because things are going to get better. Maybe not immediately, but they will. Yeah, it's funny, especially, I mean, to put on my sort of like historical critic Bible scholar hat for a second. Do you have any other hats? I've never seen any. It is it is the only hat I wear. I, I'm um, glad to hear that. It becomes you. I appreciate that. When I look at this, right, I think about the fact that from, from my perspective, this section at the end, the section we're reading, verse 14 on, I'm pretty confident is like tacked on to the end of uh, of this of this section because... And indeed, to the end of the book, right? A typical thing that happens in, in prophetic books. You got a prophet who's like, it's going to be bad. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful, right? Change, change, change. And that's the, I mean, that's why prophets say it's all going to, you know, go to hell is because they're trying to accomplish change in the now, right? That's the the, the impetus for the speech. Um, and, you know, so that can be pretty devastating as a, as a message. Somebody, I think, and again, this happens all the time in prophetic books. 
they see that devastating message of, you know, like change, it's all going to be terrible. And then they tack onto the end of like, but, but in the end, I will, I will redeem in the end, I will, I will turn your suffering into joy, which you can imagine, like, as you just said, right, you, that's a, you can understand that need from the part of the hearer, but you can also understand how that actually uh, kind of undermines the message of the, if the prophet is yelling, change, 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 or we're all going to die, and everything's going to be terrible, to then say, it's actually going to be okay, though. Like, that doesn't, that sort of misunderstands, it's, it's a misreading of what the prophecy is, right? The prophecy isn't a prediction of the future. It's a call to action in the present. And that's, I think, almost universally true, uh, certainly in the sort of earlier prophets of the, of the Bible, which Zephaniah is one. So, so I think this section that you're appreciating as a, as a response to the prophecy of, right, of woe, as it were, uh, like you're, you're reading it as, as somebody who's actually experiencing the bad, Right. Right. You're reading it from the perspective of like, we are going through something here or we've been through something here. And man, I want to know that it, it could get better. The prophet is writing from the perspective of it hasn't gotten bad yet. So I need you to change before it gets to that point. So it's, it's and, and again, I think the section that's tacked on at the end, verses 14 through, through 20, is tacked on after the bad has happened. Right? Zephaniah is writing before the exile. And, and and saying, you guys need to change before the worst happens. Once the worst has happened, how does that message still work? Like, it works only if you say, like, th- then you need the hope, right? You need the hope once it's gone bad, not before it's gone bad. What a, a, a thought-provoking notion, not so much about the text being tacked on, which is something that I know is, um, that happens in literature. It happens when somebody tries to turn a book into a movie, (laughs) that you change the ending because you want people to see it. And if it's too depressing, they might choose not to. Right, so the theatrical release and the director's cut. Yeah, exactly. The theatrical (laughs) release, the director's cut. And um, that doesn't surprise me as much as what you're sharing about how important it is to look at where are you in the process of doom? Are you on your way to doom? You need a certain kind of prophecy. Are you in the midst of doom? You need a different kind of prophecy. Mm-hmm. So if you're on your way to um, to doom, if you're on the doomsday road, then you need the warning. You need the urgency. You need to wake up. Mm-hmm. If you're in the midst of it, you might need consolation to say, yeah, Back there, you probably should have been listening to me on the doomsday road. But now that the car has actually hit the wall, I told you was coming. Now you might need some hope that there is going to be a different, a different reality, this sort of already and not yet. But I also wonder if the, if this idea of the happy ending being the only appointed section raises questions about What's the line between hope and anesthesia? Hope that inspires you and makes it possible to get out of bed in the morning versus something that dulls your sense of urgency to the point that you stop paying attention. And depending on where you are in the doomsday road process, that could be a really important um, 
urgency, a really important distinction. Yeah. Not just where you are, but who you are, right? Because one of the nice things about Zephaniah here, and again, you don't get it from the assigned section here. You have to go back into the beginning of the chapter, is that the the destruction that's coming, it may be coming for everyone, right? Like the nation is going to suffer, but the people who are to blame for it are not the the common folk, right? This section begins by castigating the officials and the judges and the priests and even the other prophets. In other words, it's the the leadership that has brought Israel to its to its doom here. And in the end, right, presumably the destruction is going to, you know, feature those people most prominently, such that the folks who are who are left to think hopefully Maybe even in the time of the destruction, the people who can say to themselves, I think it's going to be okay for me, are the people within the society, the broader society, who are like, we've been doing everything right, right? Why are we suffering along with? Obviously, we live in a time when sort of greater popular suffering because of the sins of leadership is a pretty sort of obvious feature of life. And I think regardless of where you sit on a political or social spectrum, everybody feels that, right? Like we're like, I'm doing the right things and I'm believing the right things and I'm acting the right way. But, you know, we as a nation are being, we're being misled, right? This this mistrust of leadership or of, of expertise maybe, but of of government, of uh, of power, right? That's here too, right? So, where you are and also who you are changes how you hear these these prophecies uh, and how you hear these calls to to change, calls to action, or or calls for calls for hope. Thanks for listening to chapter, verse, and season. Please take a few minutes to subscribe and review the podcast and to share it with some of your friends who would enjoy it. For more about chapter, verse, and season. Or for more Bible resources in general, visit YaleBibleStudy.org. And follow us on Twitter at BibleYale. Chapter, Verse, and Season is produced by Joel Baden, Kelly Morrissey, and me, Helena Martin. Production help from Chriselle Bryce. And our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. Thank you, as always, to the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. And thank you to Dean Drummond and Professor Baden for taking some time for us today. We'll be back next week with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.